Please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, this is Luke 6, verse 17 to 36. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. I say to you who are listening, sorry, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. So we're walking through Luke's gospel this fall. Uh, We just finished three weeks where we looked at encounters that Jesus had with individuals. He calls Peter and the disciples from their boats to follow him. He cleanses a leper. He cast out demons of this man who had a legion of demons. We saw the transformation that Jesus can bring in people's lives. And now what we're going to do is we're going to spend three weeks looking at some of Jesus' teaching in the first half of Luke's gospel. Hear what he has to say about life and what it is all about. Today, this is the first main block of teaching that we encounter in Luke's gospel. I think you would agree with me that Jesus really starts with a bang when it comes to uh, his teaching in this gospel. Um, So radical, right? So mind-blowing. And and I think today we make all sorts of attempts to soften this. Uh, We try to do all sorts of PR for Jesus and, and, you know, explain in a way that makes our lives make sense. And I want to say at the beginning, I want to try to resist doing that this morning. Because I think Jesus 
is trying to be provocative. He's, he's trying to, to blow out the paradigms that we have. Jesus is a prophet. Okay, We looked this summer at Jesus as a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And one of those things is he's a prophet. And he is speaking like a prophet. And like all good prophets, he is trying to wake us up to a different way of seeing the world. Wake us up to a different way of, of seeing our lives. And so... I don't want to try to soften that uh, inappropriately this morning. And the commentaries uh, say that. One, one, one commentator I was reading this week says, Jesus is doing nothing less than redefining the world in this section. Another refers to the radically reversed, upside-down world that Jesus has come to reveal to us. He has not come to give us a little tweak in our religious convictions or a, a minor course correction here. He is literally blowing apart the paradigms that, that all human beings live with. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look just first high level at, there's two sections, right? You've got the blessing and the woes, and you've got the love for your enemies. And I want to just take a look at that from a very high level view, overview, and, and make just a couple remarks about <laughs> what I experience as an overview of these things. And then I want to go back around and look at that first section again about the blessings and woes in a little more detail and try to provide a little bit of perspective that I think will be helpful for us, all right? And all of this we're doing today, of course, with um, the persecuted church in the background, in the back of our minds. It's a perfect passage uh, for today. It's nice when that works out like that, isn't it? Um, all right, so let's start with the, the first. There's two sections. Let's look at the first section of Blessing Wells. Again, I'm just going to start real high level, just make a couple remarks, initial Thoughts that I, that I have, responses that I experience. So he starts with this blessing and woes in verse 20. Um, he starts with a set of blessings. And here are the people he, lab- he pronounces blessing on. The poor, the hungry, the weeping, and what I'll call the hated and excluded. And I just want to make a comment at the beginning. These are all things that every one of us in this room would say bad. <laughs> bad, 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 right? I mean, we work really hard in life to try to avoid these things. We put a lot of time and energy into life. Certainly our culture, everything in our culture pushes us to try to avoid these things. We look at these things and we say, whoa, that's bad. That is not what I want in life. And Jesus identifies these things and he says, blessed. These realities get my blessing. If you find yourself in this place, you are a prime candidate for the blessing of God. Okay, totally turns this on, on its head. And then he gives us another list of things. Uh, wealthy, satisfied, laughing, and what I'll say, respected and praised. I can speak personally. I can speak culturally. This is everything, for the most part, that we want in life, right? <laughs> we work really hard pursuing these things. People that have these things, who are laughing, who are satisfied, who are respected and praised, we look at them and we emulate them. We say, this is exactly what I want to be. And Jesus takes these things and he says, whoa. If you find yourself here, watch out. Watch out. It's radical. Verse 23 (laughs) really caught me. When he's pronouncing blessing on these people who are like hated and excluded, he says in verse 23, rejoice and leap for joy. Right? I picture these, these lambs leaping for joy. Not just put up with poverty, put up with things. No, 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 rejoice and leap for joy. I mean, it's so radical. And I just want to make the comment on the front end to say, as I was reading this this week, I thought, 
I would have to have a completely different perspective on life to agree with Jesus here. Okay? Like, there's not some little minor tweak in my thinking, a little course correction. I would have to have a completely different perspective on life to be able to resonate in any way with what Jesus is saying here. And I'm wondering if maybe that's the point that Jesus wants to make to me and to us. You would have to have a completely different perspective. And then let's look at the second section. Again, just staying high level here. Um, Beginning in verse 27. Uh, The overarching command you see in verse 27 is to love your enemies. I know we've heard this so many times that it's, it's kind of familiar with us. But that's the overarching command. Love your enemies. And then that That command plays itself out here in a bunch of different ways. Do good to those who hate you, right? Bless. Pronounce blessing on people who are are cursing you. Um, Pray actively for people who mistreat you. Um, If someone were to slap your cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone were to take your coat, uh, give them your shirt, right? Don't withhold from people. That's, those, are all, those are different ways of playing out that fundamental command to love your enemy. Now, I want you right now just to identify someone in your life that you would identify as an enemy, okay? For some of us, that's easy. For some of us, that's hard. But I want you to, to come up with a face. That could be a neighbor, okay? It could be that pesky neighbor, you know, next door you have these battles with about various things. Um, it could be a family member um, that is very, very challenging for you. It could be an old friend who, who betrayed you at some point. It could be an old love interest who wounded you. Um, it certainly could be someone in your work context, a boss or coworker, or someone in that context who's really, really hard for you. For some of you, it might be someone you've never met personally, but you see their face on TV all the time, or you read what they write, and they are your enemy, all right? They might be in the car next to you. Okay, I don't know what it is for you. Jesus is saying all of these things about those people. And whatever your enemy might be, I promise you that people in the first century could say to us here in America, I see your enemy and I raise you several enemies. Okay? I promise you. Like the Roman soldier who is occupying our land and forces me to carry his soldier's pack because he can, because he has the power to do it. Or the tax collector who's one of my own people but is a traitor and who rips me off every time. I know he's doing it. And I guarantee you the persecuted church around the world today could also say, I see your enemy and I want to raise it several levels. And so I see Jesus' comments as as staggering on a a couple levels. um, Two levels that I really see here. Um, he doesn't just say, you know what, you know those enemies, why don't you, you know, graciously avoid those people, right? Or, or, or put up with those people, or, you know, be patient with them, um, you know, just kind of endure them. But that's not what he says. He says, I want you to proactively do good. I want you to do good things to people who hate you. I want you to have them in your prayers often. I want you just to pronounce blessings on these people. I, don't, I, I, I want you to be generous. It's a very proactive posture. Turn the other cheek. It's not just avoiding. It's proactive. And what really hit me this week is just the idea of an enemy. Like Jesus saying, I want you to do those pra- proactive things to your enemies. Uh, verse 32 was the most convicting thing for me this week. Let me read it again. 
If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Right? Uh, verse 33. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that, is that to you? If you lend money to those who, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Honestly, that, he nailed me. I'm like, when I am being generous to my friends, when I feel like I'm loving my friends well, I'm praying for my friends, I'm doing good things for my friends, I'm like, the spirit of God is at work in me. Like, I'm seeing, like, I'm the real deal. Like, this is it. I'm seeing God at work. And Jesus is like, even sinners do that, right? Like, everybody does that. I mean, people, I'm not everybody, but most people do that. So I'm sitting with this this week, and, and I'm thinking, just as with the first section, I'm thinking, I would have to become a totally different person to do the things that Jesus is calling me to do in here in terms of love my enemy. Like, in, honestly, I look at most religious stuff out there, um, whether in the Bible or in other things, and this is me being honest, I'm kind of like, yeah, I think I can actually kind of do that. You know, like be kind to people, be patient, um, study the sacred you know, writings, whatever they are, be a generous person. I honestly look at that and I go, I'm wired a certain way that I can kind of do that. I can get away. And I look at what Jesus is saying here. It's like, I'd have to become a different person to do this. And I wonder if maybe that's Jesus' point. <laughs> but something... Something radically different would have to fuel my life than what is currently fueling my life in order for me to to act this way towards people who would be my enemy. I think that's Jesus' point. So all that to say, high level, I look at both of these sections and I go, I would have to have a completely different perspective on life. I would have to be a completely different kind of person to do these things. And so I, I want to I just ask the question this morning, um, what reality, what underlying conviction would have to invade my heart so much in my perspective that I would actually think the way Jesus is thinking here and actually live the way that Jesus is calling me to live here? What, what could that possibly be? And I'm sure there's maybe more than one answer to that. But the answer that I want to give this morning from our passage is where Jesus ends our passage today. Look at verse 35, the second half. He says, to do these things, to think this way, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. And here's here's the reality I want to talk about for a second. Because God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I think... That is the underlying reality that would have to invade my life to think this way, to become this kind of person. It is the mercy of God. That I would have to be utterly convinced that at the center of the universe is this God, who is the creator of all things, who, as Mark just mentioned, is in control of all things, but at the center of this God's heart is mercy. Is this compassionate, loving posture that sees real need in the world. This is what mercy is. That sees need and is willing to meet it in ways that are often unexpected or undeserving. And that's what mercy is. It's, it's this compassionate response to need that is willing to meet those needs in ways that are, that are undeserving and that are unexpected. And I would have to buy into that. I, I, that I would have to, at, at deep in my heart, believe God is so merciful And his mercy has gotten inside of me. 
It's working in me. It's shaping my identity. I am one who has received mercy. That reality would have to so invade my life that it would then work itself out in all the ways I, how I treat my enemies, how, what I think about poverty and riches. Think about God's mercy for a second, okay? Verse 35, he says this at the end of verse 35. Because God is kind, look at who God is kind to. Two, two people, to the ungrateful and to the wicked, okay? And let me use that second one. You know, God's mercy extends to wicked people, people who don't deserve his mercy. God has a lot of grace and mercy all day long. God is showering his grace and mercy on people who are wicked. They are receiving all sorts of blessings from him. The sunshine, food, family, jobs, wealth, you name it. All day long, he is showering blessings on people who are wicked. And it says ungrateful. (laughs) People who don't acknowledge that they're receiving his mercy. All day long, people are experiencing his mercies in ways that they're not even aware of, or if they are aware of it, they're refusing to acknowledge. They're not grateful for it. It's really hard to shower mercy on people who are ungrateful, isn't it? God does that all day long, for centuries upon century. But I think that's the, at least that's the reality I want to point out this morning, is, is that I would have to so believe in the mercy of God that I'm a person who has received mercy and people all day long are receiving God's mercy. There's no way I'm going to see hunger and poverty and weeping and exclusion as blessings unless I think in somehow, some way, those can open me up to the mercy of God. That's the only way those become blessings. There's no way I'm going to proactively love my enemies, right? These people that get under my skin unless I believe deeply I am one who has received so much mercy from God. Oh, and that person who makes my skin boil, that person is one who constantly receives God's mercy day in and day out. That's the only way I might move towards proactively loving them and embracing them. But when I think of Jesus, when I think of him in Luke's gospel, when I think of all the gospels, and I I ask the question, what drives this man? Like, what fuels him? What's the underlying reality that shapes what he does? It is so clear to me that it is his relationship with his heavenly father. Like, that's what shapes everything he does. And his, his, his belief that his father is a compassionate father. And that, that shapes how he treats people. It shapes how he deals with suffering, how he makes decisions. And he's inviting us, I would argue, into that kind of life. A life we are, where we are deeply convinced of this father of compassion and mercy. And it shapes everything we do. All right, so with that sort of overview, very radical, I think, um, I want to go back to the first section on the blessings and the woes and try to offer a few perspectives that I think would be helpful to us. Now, let me put them back up there. Um, Here's his list. Blessed are the poor and the hungry and the weeping and the excluded. Woe to those who are wealthy, satisfied, laughing, and respected. Um, And I think there's some explanation needed, uh, obviously, because if you're anything like me, you find yourself on the right side of that leisure for the most part, right? Like wealthy, that's me, satisfied, 
fed, yes, generally laughing. I feel like you guys kind of respect me most of the time, right? I generally find myself in these ways. Um, and, you know, and Luke's, Luke's uh, <laughs> Jesus' sermon here doesn't spiritualize anything. The Sermon on the Mount, it's blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, I can kind of get inside of that. But, but how do I get inside of this? What do I do if I find myself on the right side of this? Of this, of this? What, what am I supposed to do with that? And so I want to just speak to that, and, and we'll close uh, once I do that. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge uh, two types of people that I think Jesus is speaking to uh, in this passage. Um, and I would describe them this way. Those who find themselves on the left side involuntarily against their choice, and those who find themselves on the left side voluntarily, some active choice they've made. And I think Jesus is addressing both kinds of people, okay? So let me talk you through this. Um, First, those uh, who find themselves in those desperate situations involuntarily. So if you look at our passage, look at who's gathered around Jesus. Look at verse 18. Uh, those who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those troubled by impure spirits, okay? So all that said, you have this crowd of people, many of whom find themselves for whatever reason in that left side. Um, We've looked at Jesus uh, dealing with lepers, a demon-possessed person. He deals with the blind, the lame, right? The deaf, the poor, those that that are oppressed and imprisoned. So this is the group of people or this is part of the group of people that, that Jesus has gathered around, and they find themselves in that list. They would absolutely identify themselves in that list. And Jesus is saying to them, hey, society considers you cursed. Right? I mean, society considers you cursed. But I consider you blessed. I consider you blessed. Why? I think Jesus is saying, is because you are right in a place where you might be ready for the mercy of God. Right? Because your, your circumstances, which you did not choose, you didn't choose them, you just, they just happened to you, but those circumstances can put you in a place of humility, of brokenness, of dependency, where you're ready for God's mercy. The kingdom of God is for people like you because the kingdom is for people who recognize their need for God's mercy. And that's why you're blessed. Because these circumstances can put you in a posture where you are so ripe for the mercy of God. And I think that's what he's going after, is the posture that can accompany these circumstances. Because I think if we read scripture, we don't want to say, Jesus loves poor people more than rich people. Okay? That, that, that's not a biblical concept, I don't think. But what he's saying is this, because of your poverty, because of your hunger, because of your exclusion, those things can put you in a, perspe- in a, in a posture where you're so ready to receive the mercy of God. And the corollary is, that's why Jesus will say, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying God doesn't like rich people. He's saying wealth tends to put people in postures where it is more difficult to receive the mercy of God. Because it tends to put us in a place where we feel like, I kind of don't need it. I kind of have what I need. And this theme runs straight through Luke's gospel, okay? The theme is this, God's mercy is available to all, rich and poor, fed and hungry, uh, respected and excluded, but the people who tend to receive it are those on this side because they are ready for the mercy of God. They recognize their need. In that sense, they are blessed. The kingdom is for people like that. 
And so I want to ask the question for us today, as people who primarily find ourselves on the right side of that, how do we then be faithful to Jesus in light of our circumstance? And I think the question that that I want to pose to each one of us this morning is is this. Uh, Where in my life am I being involuntarily subjected to some of these things on the other side. Meaning, where, where is life hard right now? Where is it challenging? Where is it difficult? Where am I experiencing uh, financial insecurity? Where am I experiencing um, crying uh, uh, because of loss or grief? Where am I feeling lonely? Where am I feeling excluded? Where is life hard? And I think the faithful response is to hear Jesus' words and to consider Maybe this is an opportunity, as painful as this is, maybe this is an opportunity. I didn't choose it, I didn't ask for it, but maybe it's an opportunity to experience blessing in the sense that maybe I'm open in a unique way in this moment to the mercy of God. Maybe these circumstances are creating in me a a, a posture where I'm open to God in ways that I'm not normally open to Him. And so my encouragement to us, wherever you find yourself in that place of involuntary pain, if I can put it that way, you know, we jump so quickly towards fixing and controlling, right? We fall down, we get up, we keep going. What would it look like? Yes, let's let's try to move forward. But what would it look like to just stop and not get up so fast and say, God, I want to experience your mercy. I want to experience a a closeness to you, a dependence on you that I don't normally experience. And and maybe, maybe this thing is as bad and painful as as it is. Maybe this is actually can open me up to a deeper intimacy, a deeper dependence, and a deeper sense of your presence in my life. And so rather than getting up so quickly and trying to fix and control and work it out, what would it look like just to stay down and say, "Maybe maybe you have a blessing in this. This is not a blessing, but maybe there's a blessing in it. All right? And then the other category of people, and I'll I'll end with this idea, the other category of people who might find themselves as poor, uh, hungry, and weeping, and hated, would be those who are there, I'll say, voluntarily, if I can put it that way, meaning um, they, in some sense, chose it. Not that they wanted those things, but they made some decisions that put them in that place. And I'm thinking of the other group of people that Jesus is speaking to in this passage. Look at verse 20. Who is Jesus looking at and talking to with these words? His disciples, right? Verse 20. Looking at his disciples, right? Matthew, Mark, or not Mark, sorry. Yeah, Matthew, John, Luke, right? Uh, Not Luke. Uh, Two of the four is good enough. Um, (laughs) Peter, that's his name, Peter. Peter, James, and John. There we go. Andrew. Um, These guys uh, who left everything to follow him. And Jesus knows your pursuit of me. You're saying yes to my call. Um, It has cost you some things. You've left your homes for a time. You've left, left your jobs and you've committed yourself to a level of financial insecurity. Um, you've left all sorts of security and uh, you're going to lose your reputations. You may not know it yet, but you're going to lose your reputations. People aren't going to like you. They don't know this yet. You're going to lose your lives. Their voluntary pursuit of Jesus is, is 
propelling them into a set of circumstances where they're going to find themselves as increasingly poor and weeping for various reasons and excluded. And Jesus is acknowledging, you have left all to follow me. You might be tempted to regret that, but let me tell you, you are blessed. Even though you experience these things, you're blessed because you're with me. And the kingdom of God belongs to you. Eternal joy belongs to you. You're you're right where you're supposed to be. And I think, you know, sometimes in life, pain is involuntary. It just happens. But other times, uh, challenges come voluntarily, meaning in our pursuit of Jesus... As we pursue him more faithfully, sometimes that creates crises in our lives that make life not easier, but more challenging. Uh, Henry Nouwen has this great phrase that he calls voluntary displacement. And and he's saying sometimes we we voluntarily put ourselves in our lives in a a place of where things are displaced because of a choice to follow Jesus. Let me tell you how he describes this. Following Jesus involves leaving the comfortable place and going to a place that is outside our comfort zone. Spiritual displacement is what is called for. As a ship at sea, listen to this image, displaces water, so we are displaced when something greater than ourselves moves us in a new direction or state of being. Voluntary displacement prevents us from being caught in the net of the ordinary and the proper. And he goes on to give some pretty radical examples of voluntary displacement. For Martin Luther, displacement meant leaving the monastery and becoming a reformer. For Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it meant returning to his country, that was Germany, from the safety of the United States and becoming a prisoner of the Nazis. For Martin Luther King Jr., it meant leaving the ordinary and proper place of African Americans and leading a movement for civil rights. For Mother Teresa, it meant leaving the convent and starting an order to care for the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. Now, those are radical examples, of course. Um, Jesus Christ himself is the, the, the most beautiful example of voluntary displacement, right? He leaves the glory of heaven and enters into humanity in order to save us. And these disciples, in their own ways, have committed to a life, uh, sorry, you guys can get that for me, um, a life of voluntary displacement. And so for us, my question is, where might God be calling you? Where might Jesus be calling you into a posture of voluntary displacement? It doesn't have to be radical. It can be simple. It can be daily. It can be ordinary. Where am I being called into a voluntary displacement for the sake of Jesus? Where would following Jesus in my life today actually cost me something? Uh, Let me give you some examples. You might be presented with some financial need that would require generosity, your generosity, but that generosity might put you in a greater place of financial insecurity, but you're convinced that this would be the right thing to do what Jesus would want you to do. That's voluntary displacement. Some of you might be compelled by uh, the children in our county who are in deep need of foster care and adoption. And you see that as as the heart of Jesus to do that. And yet you think, oh, the displacement that would mean in my family. And yet for the sake of Jesus, you do that. (laughs) You become more poor. You weep more. It could be as simple as seeing an opportunity to share your faith with a friend or a coworker who doesn't know Jesus, but you're worried, like, I don't know what this is going to do to our relationship. I don't know if they're not going to like me as much after I do this. But you engage in voluntary displacement for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of your friend. Or it could be as simple as a friend who's going through really hard times, and honestly, you're just tired, and you don't want to dive into the darkness that is their life right now. And yet, for the sake of Jesus, you say, 
I can weep for, I can weep for a time with my friend because that's exactly where Jesus would want me to be. These things will lead to displacement, will lead to disruption. And the call, my call to myself and to all of us, is in those times, choose Jesus. Okay? Jesus is not calling us, I don't think, to choose poverty, to choose being hated, to choose being uh, not fed. He's saying, choose me. Choose me over your wealth. Choose me over your satisfaction. Choose me over your reputation. If following me brings wealth, great. If following me brings poverty, great. Choose me. That's the choice. Whoever needs to be displaced, let it be displaced. Now, my question, I'll leave you with this, is what would ever, ever make a person make those kinds of choices to leave behind those things for the sake of Jesus? I think one answer is the mercy of God. I am one who has received mercy. The Lord is so merciful and so good to me. If I am with my Father, I have everything. It is so much better than what this world offers. And that's what our brothers and sisters around the world are being asked to choose every day of their lives. I'm going to choose Jesus instead of comfort. I'm going to choose Jesus instead of my reputation. I'm going to choose Jesus instead of wealth. And so we honor them today. And we, in our own small ways, want to choose Jesus, come what may. So let me close us in prayer that the Spirit would give us courage, would give us faith, and would fill us with God's mercy um, that we might make decisions for Jesus every day. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, today your words are so radical, just as much as they were 2,000 years ago. And if we want to be faithful to you. And so I, I ask that, um, you know, guilt is no, no motivation. Fear is no good motivation. But your mercy and your grace and your love um, are the, is the only fuel that can really move us in the right direction for the right reasons. And so I pray that you would just remind us of your goodness to us, that you are such a good father, Lord, and that, Jesus, you are such a good savior. And that that, that reminder um, would lead us towards lives of, of loving, even those uh, who don't love us back, and of accepting whatever challenges come because we know that even the challenges themselves can draw us closer to you. And it's you we want. It's you we want more than all else. So move us today and every day in that direction towards a deeper and deeper walk with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.